ask you to turn in your scriptures tonight to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Book of Acts, chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 36 through 41 this evening. I think most of you are pretty well aware of the context of Acts chapter 2. At the beginning of the chapter, you have Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, uh, there in the upper room upon the believers that are gathered. Then, uh, because of the event, because of the sound that was heard, uh, we have this huge gathering that comes from all over the world. It is at that point that Peter stands up and begins to preach to them. And most of chapter 2 is included in that, rehearsing that which is taking place and that which is happening uh, at this event. And then we come to part of the sermon as well, verses 36 through 41. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I invite you to keep your scripture open this evening as we'll be looking at uh, particularly verse 39, but other passages as well. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for those promises. We ask that you will guide us as this evening service. We ask that you will guide Pastor Bob as he speaks on this word. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. So what we are seeking to do this evening is to take the five main sessions that uh, we had the privilege of hearing uh, from Reverend Jeff DeBoer, a UCR, URC pastor, uh, who works at Mid-America Reform Seminary, and uh, Reverend Chris Gordon, who is the pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. As they gave their presentations, um, what, what I'm presenting to you tonight is, is a summary of that which we learned and that which we uh, took in over the course of the week. And as it has been a blessing for us, I pray that it will be a blessing to you as well. Our theme for the week was taken from that verse. Our shirts indicated as well from verse 39. Look at it once again, if you would, please. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls 
to himself for the promise. So the first thing we need to do is to define what is the promise? What promise is being talked about here? Well, what is, what is Peter speaking about for the promise? The Bible is filled with promises over and over and over again. God comes to his people and promises to them. I think I've mentioned already in our service uh, tonight at least three of those promises. And, and they, but notice the verse is not, for the promises are to you and to your children. It is the promise, meaning it's a definite one. It's a specific one. This is often a, a verse that is quoted uh, at our baptisms of our infants here at Little Farms. It is included in our form. Indeed, this would be if somebody were to ask me to defend uh, uh, our, our doctrine of infant baptism, this would be one of the verses to which I would go because the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. But it is pause to stop to think. Do you know what the promise is? So first of all, let's define it. That'll be point one this evening. Defining the promise. And it's really quite simple because that's what chapters one and two of Acts have been all about. The promise is the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise that God through Christ would send the Holy Spirit, is for you and for your children and for all that are far off, all that the Lord your God will call unto himself. Go back to verse 33 of this passage. Peter, still speaking there, says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured out this, the Holy Spirit, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The promise. The promise what? Of the Holy Spirit. For to you is the promise and to your children. God promises in Christ to send his Holy Spirit. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Notice there it is again. Not the promises, but the promise. So Acts is being consistent. It's continuing to point us to the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is consistent with the Gospel of John in which Jesus on numerous occasions told his disciples that he was going to send them the promise of the Father. He was going to send them the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. Jesus promises to send his disciples to us our children, His Holy Spirit. That promise comes to us from Jesus. 
pretty reliable source. This comes from the risen Savior, soon to be the ascended Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who cannot lie. He is the source of the promise. This is not the church promising to parents and to their children. This is not some doctrine of the church making a promise. This is not a pastor making a promise or an elder or deacon. This is the Lord Jesus Christ promising that he will send the Holy Spirit to us and to our children and to all that are afar off. All that the Lord our God shall call unto himself. Third thing to note is that this promise answers a question. See, if you go back to chapter 1 again, verse 6, the disciples are, are in the midst of bewilderment. They, they still don't know what's going on. They, they still don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. Now, they might have a range. They might have the pieces, but they does, don't quite know how this all fits together. And so they come to Jesus in verse 6 and ask a question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Continue on. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the promise. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, what Jesus is saying, the answer to your question, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Jesus is saying, no, not at this time, but when I send you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will continue on the work that I have begun. The Holy Spirit will continue on the plan and purposes of God to gather unto himself the church of Jesus Christ. Will you at this time restore the kingdom? You see, they were thinking small. They were thinking little. But God is thinking big. They're thinking, will you restore the kingdom to this, this little sector of land, this 30 by 60 little hunk of land that's now been divided into Galilee, Samaria, so Judea is even smaller. Will you restore it now? Will you make it as big as it was during David and Solomon? And Jesus is saying, men, you're thinking way too small. The kingdom is much larger than Judea. The kingdom is much larger than the kingdom of David and Solomon. That was but a foreshadowing of that which was to come. And the picture, the illustration of that is the fact that there are all these people from all over the world who have come. And amongst those 3,000, there are those who are going to go back to basically every known place in the world so that immediately after Pentecost, the kingdom has already become a worldwide kingdom. We were challenged to be reminded of the fact that oftentimes we too think too small. We too think too narrow. 
We are reminded of the fact that there are only 1% of the people who live in the United States who share our Reformed belief. There's only 1%. But what God can do with a mustard seed is much greater than what man can do with 50%. The disciples were thinking too small. And oftentimes we think too small. Not only in terms of the church, but in terms of our own influence. You see, we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given, as we have defined it in the Belgic Confession, we have been given God with all of his power, all of his might. Interestingly, last Sunday morning when we were at uh, the Madison OPC, uh, Pastor Jenkins had just begun a sermon series on, on the Lord's Prayer, and he, he began with the words, Our Father. We noted the fact that the word our is a possessive pronoun. Jesus Christ is allowing us to lay claim to the Father. All that the Father is... All that the Father has is ours. He is our Father. There is a sense of ownership that Jesus is giving us in terms of God. Not in control, but in the sense of the right to call upon His power, His might, as an individual. Beautiful reminder to our young people that they are not alone in this world and that they are not insignificant in this world. But we all need that reminder in life. Secondly, I, I want to take you on a brief history of this promise. This history that, that God promises to send this Holy Spirit. Now it takes different forms, it takes different shapes. And, and we went back to the life of Abraham. And in the life of Abraham, we see this at work. Abraham's just minding his own business. And Abraham is just living his life in Ur of the Chaldees. And God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave. I want you to leave this country. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to go. It's a reminder again that this is the work of grace. It's a reminder of the text that that Zach has reminded us of as well. That Ephesians 2 verse 8. For as by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It is not that Abraham is a remarkable character. We went through his life. He is not a remarkable character. In fact when he first receives the call to leave Ur. He only goes halfway. He's called to leave Ur and go to the land that God showed him. Guess where he is the next time we find him? He's in Haran. He's not in the land of Canaan. God has to come to him again. Hey, Abraham, I called you. You are to leave. You are to go to the land I will show you. And if you follow the life of Abraham in chapter 12, 13, and 14, you will find out that this man has a lot of weaknesses. Very similar to you and I. And yet this is the man that God called. This is the man to whom comes the promise. This is the man to whom is going to come the sign of the promise. 
John Calvin wrote in regards to the call of Abraham that it could be summarized as follows. God comes to Abraham and says, I command you to go with closed eyes and to give yourself wholly to me. Abraham does not do that. It is at best a half-hearted effort in those chapters. We'll return to Abraham again, but it was a significant reminder to us of how often it is that we need to come back to the face of God in humility and in repentance and to hear God's call again. To walk into this life with eyes closed and to give ourselves fully and wholly to Him. We were taken on a history of God's people. How these are the people that God chooses out of all the nations of the earth. This people, this Israel. And yet, they're, they're no remarkable people. They're certainly not a city shining on a hill. They're filled with all sorts of sin and idolatry. There's all sorts of rebellion that takes place. Until you get to the prophet Ezekiel in that 37th chapter. Where Ezekiel is called to go out to that valley. That valley of bones. And there we see those dead bones. And Ezekiel is asked the question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, you know, Lord. And we begin to see those bones take shape. Bones come together. Tissue comes. Muscle comes. But there is still no life. I want you to turn back to Ezekiel chapter 37 for just a moment. Ezekiel 37. Pick it up at verse 10. So I commanded as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. See, it's a promise. What is he promising? I'm promising to put my spirit within you. What happens? I prophesied. And the breath, the spirit came into them. And they lived. That was a picture, you see, of the promise. I promise I'll put my spirit in you. What's happening in Acts 2? The spirit is being poured out, not upon, but in. And you will live. Dead men spiritually became alive in Christ. And the promise is to you and to your children. And we see then in Acts chapter 2 the promise being kept because Peter reminds us of the fact in that uh, 
sermon of the fact that what is going on is this is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. I will put my spirit within them. And they, your young men shall dream dreams and, your, and they shall prophesy. The, the, the picture of a renewal, of a reformation, of a rekindling, of a re-life, of a being born again. That's what's happening. God is keeping his promise. Pentecost is the picture of a promise kept. See, in the Old Testament, Pentecost was the celebration of the harvest. It was the celebration of the fact that God had kept his promise to bless their crops. And at Pentecost, this ingathering of crops is taking place. It is, in a sense, their, their thanksgiving. It is a reminder that God kept his promise to provide. And on that very day, on the day of Pentecost, God keeps his promise. He pours out his spirit. The promise is to you and to your children. To all that are afar off, all that the Lord our God shall call. But then we were reminded, after we dealt with the history of that promise, we were reminded of the God of the promise. And I take you back now to Genesis chapter 15 for a few moments. I told you of the wanderings of, of Abraham in chapters 12 and 13 and 14. But in chapter 15, we read the following. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Who is the one who comes with the promise? It's the one who appears. And who's he appearing to? To a sinner. To a man who has failed. If you think about those 12 disciples there in the upper room, they too were men who had failed, were they not? And God comes. God comes in the Holy Spirit to failed people. That's, what, that's what's happening here. God appears to him. God called him, but, but Abraham hasn't followed, so God comes again. Abraham! Abraham, stop being afraid. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. He is the one who expands. Look at verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This not, man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's the first time that's mentioned. This is the first time this occurs. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because of faith. That's where we were this morning. What is faith? It is the gift of God. How does the gift of God come about? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's all about the promise. 
But notice what, what's going on. Abraham's going, I don't have any children. God's going, you're going to have more children than the stars of the heavens. I don't have any children. Is, is it supposed to be my, my servant, Eleazar? And God says, no, it's going to be like the sand of the seashore. For the last two years on our travels for RYS, we were at the beach, the Pacific Ocean. Think of counting those sands. In Wisconsin, where we were, there, there's no of that false light out there. Gorgeous stars. Count them. Count them. You can't. God is expanding. Even while Abraham is, is in doubt, God is promising even greater. Isaac hasn't even been born yet, and God's going beyond. He's saying, I'm not only going to give you Isaac, Abram, I'm going to give you descendants like the sand of the seashore. That's you and I. Because God fulfilled his promise. He sent that Holy Spirit. One author I read in regards to this made the statement. He said, I'm not sure how many believers there actually were prior to Pentecost. Christ had come. Christ had done his work. But how many people were actually believers? In Jesus Christ. Today, today there are over 200,000 Presbyterian believers in the country of Brazil alone. The gospel is expanding exponentially, I think that's the right way of saying it, in Latin America, in Nigeria. Nigeria ought to be sending missionaries to us. Africa ought to be sending missionaries our way. It's not the problem that the kingdom isn't growing and expanding. It is. Maybe the problem is we're not doing what we need to do in our own community our own places. We're not bringing the gospel. Which perhaps accounts for the 1%. But that doesn't mean the promise of God is not being fulfilled. The promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, all that the Lord our God is calling. Out of China, out of North Korea, out of Uruguay, Costa Rica, Mexico, Colombia, thousands upon thousands coming to Jesus Christ. But God not only expands here in Genesis chapter 15, God also is the one who walks. See, it finally comes down to this. 
God says, okay, Abraham, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to make with you a covenant. And, the, and it's here in Genesis 15 where, where, where God has been the one who appears to this sinner, this doubter, where God has come with the expansive view of the kingdom and the fulfillment of the promise. God now says, and it's not going to be on you. We take those split animals. Abram does nothing but falls into a deep sleep. It is God who comes as that smoking fire pot, walking between those pieces. A beautiful reminder to us that God is taking upon himself the responsibility to fulfill the promise. And as he walks through those pieces, there is the picture for us of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He fulfills all of those promises, all of those obligations. For his promises are amen and amen in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who makes the promise is the one who keeps the promise. God. Thirdly, what are the results of this promise? It's wonderful to talk about what it is and the history of it. In other words, what, what, what's the application of this? What, what, where does this go? Well, what does the Holy Spirit always do? The Holy Spirit always brings us to Jesus. This is his work. This is what he does. He never brings us to himself. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't point to himself. The Holy Spirit is the guide. He is the counselor. He is the teacher who points us always to Christ. Pointing us to Jesus. This is who the Spirit focuses us on. So that when we stand and make our profession of faith, it is upon Christ. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. Where did that come from? Where did that come from in Alyssa's heart? Where did that come from in Zach's heart? Where, where does that arise from? That arises from the Holy Spirit. It is He who has worked. It is He who has focused their lives, our lives, upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, as he focuses us on Christ, focuses not only upon the work of Christ in terms of his salvation, but that which we too far often perhaps understate because, because of our concern about liberalism is, is the fact that the Spirit also focuses us on the example of Christ. The servanthood of Christ. So that as I come to know Jesus. As my Savior. I come to know him as my Lord. My Lord who provides an example. Of servanthood. Within the church. What an interesting song selection then that. That Alyssa makes. Take my life and let it be. And. We see skills and talents and abilities 
we see the way in which God has blessed. And, but God, as, as we were reminded in the session, has given this not for our own benefit, not for our own pocketbook, not for our own wealth, not for our own egos, but God blesses so that we might serve. In essence, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring to God the glory due His name. In three areas we were reminded of. We are to bring God glory in worship. Worship is about the Lord. Worship is not about us. Three passages. There are more, but I'll give you three. Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 86, 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Revelation 14, the picture of that beautiful worship service in, in glory. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of waters. But we were also reminded of the fact that our vocation are that which the Spirit is using in our lives in order that God might be glorified. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 13. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That which you do. The work that God calls us to. The vocations, the careers. It is about bringing glory to God. See, this is part of the promise. For the promise, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That not only what? That not only causes faith, but also makes us servants who seek to glorify God in our worship, yes. In our work, yes. But in our whole life. Our whole life is to be lived for the glory of God. 1 Timothy 4.12 Let no one despise you because of your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. How do you do that? That's the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then there's this passage. Romans chapter 4 verse 20. Paul is speaking of Abraham. So we kind of make full circle here. We come back to Abraham. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. As we give glory to God, we grow strong in our faith. As the Spirit works within us, causing us to glorify the Lord. Our faith is built up. 
beautiful thing to see 715 young people sitting in silence, attentively hearing the challenge of God's word to live their lives to the glory of God and to respond standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages let us praise His holy name glory in the highest I will shout and sing standing on the promises of God